Welcome everyone. My name is Tim Harris. I'm pastor here at Woodburn Baptist Church. Welcome to you. It's springtime, y'all. It is so totally spring. On my weather app now, I look out the 14-day forecast and it doesn't get cold ever again, ever. <laughs> and I am all about that. Welcome to you. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 21. Let's get started this morning. It's been a great weekend here at Woodburn. We've had over a hundred teenagers involved in Disciple Now weekend, uh, which is just phenomenal. Uh, my goodness. Uh, if you see Matt Betts today, rub his beard and, and thank him for everything he does for the, for the sake of our kids. He's pretty fantastic. Uh, Matt will be preaching uh, at 11 o'clock, a special 11 o'clock service in the cafe today. Uh, it is the final service of the Disciple Now weekend for the kids. And so uh, if you sit through this service, then you stay for a small group and then you're still around at 11. It would be smart of you to stick around just to be a part of that worship service. Again, we'll have worship in here as we always do at 11, but over in the cafe at 11 o'clock, a, a, a different service altogether for, uh, for the kids. Uh, it'll be a good one to, to catch. Uh, so once more, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 21. And let's begin with the, with the message. You know, I'm walking through the Gospel of Luke all the way to Calvary as we move toward Easter. And one of the things you'll notice uh, in all of the Gospels is uh, in this last week or so of Jesus' life, as he's uh, teaching his disciples and trying to prepare them for what comes next, there'll always be a moment when he stops and prepares them for this very, very simple fact, and that is that the end of the world is coming. Now, he wants them to know that he's going to leave them. And he wants them to know that he's coming back. And that's the point. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. And, and if I go, I will come again. Jesus is coming again. And it's one of the things that he wanted the disciples to know, even before the cross, before the resurrection, make no mistake, Jesus is coming again. And, and we still anticipate that he's coming again, which means the end of the world is coming. You don't seem very alarmed by, by the news. There's something numbing about the news, to, to be honest. I remember as a kid riding in the car with my great-grandmother, Aggie Mays, and, and this was years ago, and, and Grandma Mays was, you know, the, like the oldest lady on earth. And it was one of those weird winter days when it was sunny and really, really warm. And, and my grandmother uh, said something like, uh, you know, they say, they say right before Jesus comes, you won't be able to tell one season from the other. I think he's probably coming really soon. Well, it scared me to death. I mean, it did. It just scared me to think of what? You know, I, I, I haven't grown up yet. I haven't, you know, I haven't had my first kiss. You know, I, I mean, I haven't done anything uh, at all. Please, no. Uh, my grandmother believed it with all of her heart, and she's like, you know, 90 years old. So, yeah, of course she wants Jesus to come back. Uh, I mean, you know. But I still had so much of, of my life ahead of me. I, I, I will be really, really honest. I, I love this life. I really love this life. Now, I love Jesus, and, and I love what the Word of God says, but, but when I hear the news that the end of the world is coming, there's something, I, I will have to admit, there's something that at first is heartbreaking about that to me. I love this world. I, I really, really do. I love this world. I love to run. There's no feeling in the world like that to me. I just love to run. I love to sit in a warm window in the sunshine and read like a cat. I, I, I love a warm, sunny window. I, I love life with my wife more than anything in the world. I love getting in bed with her every single night. We, we're like puppies. We just lay in a big pile in the middle of the bed all night long. Uh, some part of my body has to touch her body. I mean, I just love that. I love when she kisses the back of my neck. My wife talks 
in her sleep. We have our best conversations <laughs> when she's just totally, you know, just talking. It's so funny, man. I, I love that. I love eating supper at home at the table. I love when our son comes home and eats supper with us. That's just, these are the best days, you know, you can possibly imagine. I love that really soft, warm, velvety feel of a hound dog's ear. You ever, just a dog's ear? I love that. Or that that feeling of a baby soft spot. You ever touch that? It's, it's just, it, it's a wonder and, and, and it's, it's amazing. I love corn dogs at Sonic and cherry limeade there. There's just so much about life in this world, and, and I love it. I love sunrises. I love the beach. So when I, I hear the news that one of these days God is just simply going to roll it all up, you know, that, that God is going to step out one day and say, I'm done with it, I'm, I'm, and, and it's his. The, the whole world is his. He created it. He, he won't be breaking a sweat when he ends it all. I mean, I mean, this is the point. God himself is the beginning and the end, and he's made it very, very perfectly clear that this world doesn't last forever. It, it doesn't doesn't last forever. And one of these days, it's all going to be over. It's the truest thing I know how to tell you. And it's one of the truest things that Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 21. Let's look together at what Jesus actually says. Luke chapter 21, I'm going to start in verse 25. This whole chapter here, starting at about verse 5, is, is about the second coming, about the end of the world. But I'm just going to start in verse 25, and then we'll, we'll catch up together. Luke chapter 21, verse 25, Jesus is in the middle of a conversation, and this is what he says. And there will be strange signs in the sun, moon, and stars. And here on earth, the nations will be in turmoil, perplexed by the roaring seas and the strange tides. So you thought it was global warming. People will be terrified at what they see coming upon the earth, for the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then everyone will see the Son of Man coming on a cloud with power and great glory. So when all these things begin to happen, stand and look up, for your salvation is near. Then he gave them an illustration. Notice the fig tree or any other tree. When the leaves come out, you know without being told that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things taking place, you can know that the kingdom of God is near. I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass from the scene until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. Watch out. Don't let your hearts be dulled by carousing and drunkenness. The word there that Jesus uses is, is hangover. Don't let your hearts be hung over by carousing and drunkenness and, and by the worries of this life. Don't let that day catch you unaware like a trap, for that day will come upon everyone living upon the earth. Keep alert at all times and pray that you might be strong enough to escape these coming horrors and stand before the Son of Man. Every day Jesus went to the temple to teach, and each evening he returned to spend the night on the Mount of Olives. The crowds gathered at the temple early each morning to hear him. 
this is really one of Jesus' most famous sermons, and, and it's actually been in some ways very controversial because Jesus makes some predictions in this chapter about the end of the world, and you should know some of these things that he predicts have already happened. Uh, but back up a little, go all the way back to verse 5. Let, let's pick up how the whole thing begins. This whole sermon begins in verse 5 when it says this, some of Jesus' disciples begin talking about the majestic stonework of the temple and the memorial decorations on the walls. But Jesus said, the time is coming when all these things will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left upon the top of the other. And teacher, they asked, when will all this happen? What sign will show us that these things are about to take place? And then Jesus begins to give this, this whole sermon. So the sermon begins as the disciples and Jesus are sort of looking at Jerusalem, looking at the temple. Now, the temple in Jerusalem in that day, in Jesus's day, was actually still under construction, but it was nearly finished. They had been building this monster for 46 years. Understand? 46-year construction project, and it was magnificent. The temple in Jesus' day, they say, looked like from a distance a mountain of gold. A mountain of gold. That's how much gold was actually used in the construction. And it was gorgeous. So this particular day, the disciples weren't really asking a question about the end of the world. They're, they're, the conversation begins because they're simply amazed at how beautiful the temple is. And they just simply began to talk about how beautiful it is and how beautiful the majestic stonework and, and, and all of the amazing decorations. They're just remarking about how beautiful the temple is. But then Jesus takes this opportunity to say you need to understand that the time is coming when this whole thing is going to be a, a mountain of rubble, not one stone left upon another. Now what you need to know, that temple's gone. What's amazing is that it happened actually pretty quickly, probably within the generation, as Jesus says here, within the generation of those hearing Jesus speak on this particular day. In the year 70, 70, in the year 70, Rome came in and completely demolished the temple, exactly as Jesus said. They burned it. They burned it. But the thing is, when it burned, the gold melted and ran down between the stones. So historians tell us that the Roman soldiers were pretty determined to claim some of that gold for themselves. So they literally took the stones apart, chiseled them apart, and robbed the gold that had melted and run between the stones. So when Jesus says, not one stone will be left upon another, I mean, not one stone was left upon another. So what you need to understand is that some of this, as Jesus predicts, has already happened. Some of it has already happened. Some of it is happening now, as in right now in our lifetime. Some of this is happening now, and some of it hasn't happened yet at all. Not, not, not at all. And so the very important thing for us to understand is that this is Jesus talking. And Jesus knows. He knows. He knows what's going to happen. And he's trying to tell the disciples and to tell us as well something we really need to know about this world. Something we really need to know about our lives. Something we really need to know about him. And that something is he's coming back. He's coming back. Now, the first time he came, he came as a baby in a manger, a helpless little baby. But next time, he won't be coming like that. Do you understand? He says that every hour. I will see him, the Son of Man, coming.
standing in the clouds. I mean, he's going to split heaven wide open next time. Make no mistake. And it won't be just be a few shepherds and wise men who get the news that he comes. I, I mean, the whole world all at the same time is going to know that it's all over. He's come. The first time he came, he came as the Savior. He came to offer salvation. When he comes again, he comes in judgment. And he will judge the world. Make no mistake, all the earth will see him and every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's going to be different next time. You need to know that. You need to understand that this is the most real thing in the world. This world is not going to last forever and Jesus is coming back. Again, I know that some of you hear that, and for, for some of you, there's, there's fear mixed up in that, and, and sort of concern, and, and when? When's he coming, and how much time do we have? That's the same question disciples ask. I mean, when you think about it, they weren't asking for this conversation. They weren't asking for this sermon. All they said was, wow, well, golly, look at this temple, you know? And all of a sudden, Jesus says, well, you know, this whole thing's going to be blown up. You know, I mean, you know, big wet blanket on that conversation. You know, I mean, Jesus, you know, you know, drops the end of the world bomb on, on them. And, you know, they weren't thinking about that. So it's like, well, when? When's this going to happen? Jesus, what? What do you know? Tell us what you know. So Jesus tells us not so much what he knows, but what we need to know. Now... In some ways, it's very difficult as a pastor to preach about the second coming because somehow what I preach is always going to be disappointing to about half of you because you've heard a lot of other sermons and preachers who got all up in this and they told you a lot. I mean, they told you a lot. I mean, they, they filled in blanks for you and you had, you know, they had a chart that went all the way across the church. And I mean, when they, you want to know when it's going to happen, they could tell you. The thing is that those preachers were making all that up, y'all. I mean, they made it up. I mean, honestly, the Bible doesn't fold us out a chart that reaches all the way across the church. So if I've got a chart that folds out all the way across the church, I made half that up. I mean, just, you know, I'm warning you now, when I roll out a chart, I made half that up. And if I can write a book, like if I can write a whole book about the second coming, I made half that up. Because the Bible is the only source of information we have about the second coming, and we don't get that much. We honestly don't get that much. So if anybody seems to know a whole lot, especially if they know more than the Bible, they're making a whole lot of it up. And it actually frustrates me. And as a pastor and as a man who loves the Word of God, sometimes I just want to tell some of those pastors to sit down and shut up. You're wrong. You've always been wrong. You know, some preacher, every time there's a new skirmish in the Middle East, they write a new book, How It's Armageddon, and people buy it. I mean, sometimes the same preacher has already published five, six books, and he just keeps selling them on TV, and people just keep on buying them, but he's wrong. He's been wrong every time. Understand? So stop listening to him. Stop. Stop buying the books. Just, just stop. This is the book, and this is all that we know and all that we're going to know. And in every single place where Jesus talks about the second coming, he stresses that. He stresses that nobody's going to know 
That's what he says. No one's going to know the day or the time. It's going to show up like a thief, like a trap. You understand? Nobody's going to be, you know, nobody's going to be following the chart across the back wall of the church. You go, here we go, y'all, here we go. Everybody ready? One, two, three. You know, it's not going to happen like that. That dude with the chart, you know, is going to be like walking around in his boxer shorts, not expecting it, you know, because that's what Jesus says. Nobody's going to know. It's going to be like a thief. But there are signs. So Jesus says there are signs and you'd be a fool not to pay attention to the signs. Now, when I say signs, understand what Jesus says. Jesus says there's going to be a world of trouble, but it's not the end of the world. This is the trap we fall into. You and me, especially in the United States, especially in our culture, we live lives of such complete luxury and comfort that I'm telling you, I mean, if, if, if the cable television goes out, we're like, it's the end of the world. Now, this must be what Jesus was saying. You know, because, I mean, internet at church has been out for like three days, and we're just all like, ah, you know, it's the end of the world. Jesus is coming, you know. And a whole lot of trouble going to be, it's not going to be the end of the world. I mean, Jesus says that. Don't, don't freak out at every earthquake or every famine because that's just the world. It's full of trouble and it's not the end of the world. And you're going to have a lot of trouble. But Jesus says, and this stuff's been happening since Jesus' day. You know, my preacher used to say that before the end of the world, the church would get snatched out because there's no way Jesus would let the church have to suffer. Well, Jesus doesn't say that at all. As a matter of fact, there's a whole section in here where he says, before all this occurs, verse 12, there's going to be time of great persecution. Now, this is Jesus talking here. You'll be dragged into synagogues and prisons, and you'll stay in trial before kings and governors because you're my followers. But this will be an opportunity to tell them about me. See, Jesus looks on the church's persecution not as something awful that shouldn't happen. Jesus says, you know what, when that happens, that's an opportunity for you. Now, there's no place where he says the bad stuff won't happen to you. No, Jesus says, you know, before it gets bad for the world, it's probably going to get really bad for the church. This is Jesus talking. You're going to get dragged. You're going to be beaten. You're going to be persecuted. You'll be martyred. But, but look at that as an opportunity. Opportunity. Yeah, yeah, it's an opportunity because you got to understand this world never was going to last forever. This life isn't going to last forever. And what happens to you and me in this life is not all that important. What really matters is the life to come. It's, it's the life to come. So the important thing for us is to use this life as an opportunity to tell others about Jesus, no matter what happens to us, because in this life, it doesn't matter what happens to us. It, it, what happens to us in the life to come is what matters. This is what Jesus says. Make no mistake, it's exactly what he says. The world's going to have all kinds of trouble. But, but notice this, it, it, it's just amazing. Everyone will see the Son of Man coming on a cloud with power and great glory. Verse 28, so when all these things begin to happen, when all these things start to happen, stand and look up. <laughs> stand and look up. Y'all have been to ball fields? Somebody say, heads up. Okay, there's kind of two kinds of people. What do you do when they say heads up? What do you do? 
because there are really two kinds of people, and I am the person, when they say a heads up at a ball field, man, I'm just like, <laughs> I'm not putting my head up. Why would I put my head up? I mean, if they say heads up, something's flying, y'all. I mean, something's probably flying toward me. What kind of idiot? You know, looks up. Now, some of you would look up because you are prepared to catch whatever's flying. That wouldn't be me. I mean, something's flying, I'm hit. You know, I'm hit. I, I absolutely. Who, who looks up? If, if something's coming out of the sky, who looks up? But Jesus says, when you see all these things coming, heads up, look up. Stand and look up. Rich Pond School, elementary school back in the day, we used to have storm drills. Y'all still have storm drills in elementary school? They still do that? It seems like something that they did for fun in the 70s, which is what, what, what we did. Mr. Slinker, our principal, would get on the intercom and say, okay, everybody, storm drill, storm drill. Everybody assume your storm positions. Yeah. I love storm drills, actually. It's a lot of fun. We'd go out into the hallway, and we'd sit up against the wall. We're preparing for a, for a great tornado, understand? And so we'd go out in the hallway, and we'd sit down like this, and we would cross our legs, and we'd pull our heads way down, and we'd cover our heads with our hands like this. Yeah, this was storm position. It was awesome, awesome. We'd sit there in storm positions, you know, for, for as long as it took to, till they were sure that we, we knew how to sit in a storm position. Yeah, it's kind of a duck and cover thing. Understanding that if the whole school's going to fall in around our heads, you know, we wanted to make sure, you know, that we were in a tight little ball. But what Jesus says here is not duck and cover. That's interesting. Jesus does not say, when you saw these things coming, now you need to assume your end of the world position. No. Jesus says, hey, when you start seeing this awful stuff happen, it, it, look up. Stand and look up because your salvation's coming near. Jesus says that almost like it's a good thing, y'all. Like it's a good thing. It is a good thing. It's Jesus coming. It's a good thing. Now, notice what he says. He gives him an illustration. I love this. Y'all know me. This is all about me. Notice the fig tree or any other tree. We don't have figs around here. So notice any other tree outside today. It is March 13th. All right. Notice the trees, any tree. When the leaves come out, what's it say, y'all? What's it say? When the leaves come out, you know, without being told, nobody's got to tell me. Summer is near. Man, I am like six inches from flip-flops right now. I'm not kidding. I love summer. I mean, Y'all know this about me. I, I love summer. I hate winter. I'm honest, right? I mean, I hate winter. How, how long, just this year, how long have I been telling you I hate winter? Since all winter long. Yeah. <laughs> all winter long. I hate winter. I hate winter. When winter time comes, my lips get chapped. My lips are so chapped right now. And I'm preaching God's word and my lips are chapped and I hate it. I hate it because it's just not good in sermons, you know, to you know, stand here and put on chapstick. But, but winter, it, my lips are chapped. My hands are cold. I, I hate winter. Casey and I fight. We, we get in the house, we run to the fireplace and just back our backsides up and just stand there thinking, how many more days of this winter? I hate it. 
It's dark. Like all the time it gets dark at 4.30 in Kentucky the winter. I, I hate that. I just can't stand winter. I hate the cold, the misery, the ice, the snow. I hate it all. But Jesus says, pay attention to the trees because you'll start noticing these little buds that start coming out. We live in the woods, and right now the red buds are starting to just turn blue-purple, and it's amazing. Those, those trees are budding out. They know, you understand? They know. And when I see the signs, when I see the trees coming out, nobody has to tell me, oh, I, I know summer's coming. So Jesus is actually comparing the coming of the kingdom of heaven to summer. That's a good thing. So what he's saying is the kingdom of heaven will come and end this world just like summer finally comes and ends winter. And it's a good thing. Jesus is speaking to believers, and he wants the believers to know this is a good thing. It's Jesus coming. Now, I've already told you, I love this world. I love life in this world. I love everything about it. But the promise of Scripture is that this world, as beautiful as it is, it is so beautiful it'll break your heart. But it's like living in a garbage can compared to what Jesus has prepared for us. I go to prepare a place for you, Jesus says. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. In and receive you into myself so that where I am, there you may also be. It's been his purpose from the very beginning. He's taken us to a better place. Now, I love this world. I, I love it. But the fact is, I don't know any different. I, I don't know what better could be. I'm really, really thinking that life down here is as good as it gets. Man, I love oatmeal. When my mama used to work nights and, and my dad would take care of us at night, dad would make supper and dad, all, dad can't cook. So I'm like, oatmeal every night no lie oatmeal every night but man I love man I love that oatmeal Be hot oatmeal with melted butter and giant crumbles of brown sugar but forget the oatmeal I ate the brown sugar out of the box Man, that was so good. But remember, I'm just a redneck kid in Matlock, Kentucky, and my mama works, you know, second shift. My dad works first shift, and, and oatmeal is, is supper for us. I didn't know any different, y'all. I, I, I didn't know any different. It's oatmeal, you know? And this whole world is just oatmeal. You just don't know any different. You don't know any better. You, you think that this is as beautiful as it could possibly be, but you've just never seen heaven yet. You've never seen what God has waiting for those who love him. You just haven't seen anything yet. That's why Jesus compares the coming of the kingdom of heaven to the coming of summer. You just haven't seen summer yet because this whole world is winter. This whole world is darkness. This whole world is separation. You haven't been in God's presence like you're going to be in God's presence one day. You haven't seen the sun. You haven't seen streets of gold. You haven't seen anything yet. So Jesus says, when you see these signs coming, stand and look up. You understand? It's not what you think. If you know Jesus, if you trust Jesus, you can just stand and look up because something good is coming. You understand? You stand and you look because you don't want to miss it. You don't want to let it take you by surprise. Your salvation is coming. Jesus is coming. And it's going to be good. It's all going to be good. So the last week of Jesus' life, he stops with this sermon, with this message. He wants his disciples to know, I, I must leave you, but if I go... I'm coming back. I'm coming back. It's one of the things the disciples needed to know. 
So a couple of things. First off, knowing that this life doesn't last changes the way you live this life. Knowing that this life doesn't last changes the way you live this life. You've been told that for some of you it hasn't sunk in yet that this life doesn't last. You still live as if it does. As if this world were your home. As if the money you make is money that you'll take with you. As if the house that you live in is a house that's somehow going to last past something. Nothing here lasts forever. Nothing. When you know that, it changes the way you live this life. But the problem is there is sort of a a competing power here, and Jesus talks about it here in this very passage. He says, watch out. Don't let your hearts get dull. You see, everyday life numbs us. It numbs the soul. It makes us dull. I don't mean dull like you're dull. I mean, some of you are really dull, but I mean like deadens. It, it deadens. It numbs the soul in such a way where you forget. Jesus says two things really here. He says, watch out. Don't let your hearts be dulled by, by carousing and drunkenness and by the worries of this life. It, it's, that, it's the worries of this life that kind of surprises me there. I, I know that, the, you know, the, the drunk in the party, you know, Jesus is sort of saying that there are pleasures of life that will dull your soul, but, but the worries of life will dull your soul too. You would think that the worries of life would be part of what makes you want to get out of this place. The worries of life, you think that's part of what made my grandma May say, maybe Jesus will come back. I mean, you think that once your life is nothing but worry and hardship, that then you'd really be ready for Jesus to come and pack it all up. But, but it's not just the pleasures of life that make you love this world so much. The worries of life have a way of, of tying to this place too. Sometimes we'll get so, so burdened and so, so bent over by, by our worries that we forget to look up from this life. It's the worries, perhaps, that numb some of us more than anything else because you start thinking that as miserable and difficult as your life is, that, that it must be going to last forever like this. It doesn't last forever like this. Knowing that it doesn't last forever should change the way you live this life. But the problem is you forget because you get numb by everyday life. It, it just seems like it's, it's going to go on forever, doesn't it? I mean, it really does. It's hard to imagine that our lives would be cut short, that, that, that it's all going to be interrupted one day. In the middle of everything, heaven's just going to roll up like a cheap window shade. You understand? And it's over. The disciples said, wow, look, look at this temple. It's beautiful. Jesus said, yeah, it's beautiful, but it won't last. They said, how long? When? And that's our question. How, long, how much time do I have? I, I don't want to miss that. When? When are you coming back? When? when? A date, a time. Help us to calculate the... The years And Jesus doesn't have anything to do with that. He, he never encourages that you draw a chart and stretch it across the back of your church building. He never suggests that. He does suggest being ready, but you don't get ready by calculating days. 
That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, watch out. Don't let your hearts be dulled by carousing and drunkenness and by the worries of this life. Don't let that day catch you unaware. For that day will come upon everyone living on the earth. So keep alert at all times and pray. Pray that you might be strong enough to escape these coming horrors and stand before the the Son of Man. Keep alert at all times, Jesus says. In, In other words, the only way to be ready is to live ready. You just live ready. I'll be honest with you. There was a time in my life when I was afraid. I would be afraid. I would read Revelation or, or, or hear these kind of sermons. I'd be afraid that, that it would all end. So scary. That doesn't scare me now. I'm not afraid that Jesus will come back this afternoon or tonight. You know why? It doesn't bother me. As a matter of fact, it would be exciting to think that I would see Jesus tonight. Because I talked to him this morning. Jesus says, don't count days. If you want to be ready, just be alert at all times and pray. Just pray. Because the point is, if you kneel before him today, you don't have to fear standing before him tomorrow. Let's pray now. Maybe today, maybe today, before those swelling daffodil buds in my driveway, before they even open, maybe before the spring flowers bloom, maybe before the red buds begin to burst in beautiful crimson in my woods, maybe before my next meal, before I ever see grandchildren, maybe before I finish this prayer, the skies will open, every eye will see you, Lord Jesus. It could happen before I open my eyes from this prayer. Oh, Jesus, come soon. This world that you have made is beautiful. It is so beautiful. It can break our hearts with its beauty. But, Lord, it is also a fallen place. We know that you have gone to prepare for us a better place. We know that as sweet as this old world is, Lord, there is something better coming. So help us not to become so in love with this world, Lord. Help us not to make it our home. Help us not to move in as if we're going to live here. Help us instead, Lord, to see every single day, every single moment of sweetness or suffering, Lord, let us see it as an opportunity to tell others about you. We know that you're coming. And for us, Lord, that day won't come like a thief. We're going to be watching. We know you're coming. We long to see your face. But our friends, our neighbors, the people we love, Lord, they're not ready. And standing before you, Lord Jesus, for them will be the end of the world. Standing before you and looking into the blazing holiness of your face, Lord, will be a horror for them. To hear the words, depart, I never knew you, Lord, it will be a horror for those who do not know you. So, Lord, make us alert. 
Help us to remember. Help us, Lord, to seize every opportunity that those around us, Lord, will be as ready as we are for the day of your coming. Maybe it will be today. Even so, Lord Jesus, come. Come. We pray these things in your holy name.